Hi, I'm Walter Lane, and you've tuned in to a sermon podcast from the Netherwood Park Church of Christ in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks for listening. uncomfortable sermon series. Over the last several weeks, we've shifted our focus back to our 2018 theme, and that theme is out of the boat, living uncomfortably. And as we've shifted our focus back to our theme, we've been reminded that getting out of the boat isn't easy for us. It isn't easy for us because we love and crave comfort. We relish the familiar We find comfort in the routine, and we find comfort in the security of our things. So we've been challenging ourselves. We've been considering some uncomfortable questions. We've been asking ourselves whether or not our Christianity has become too comfortable, too easy, too cheap. And we've been questioning whether or not our comforts are holding us back. So our comforts are holding us back, keeping us from calling, joining Jesus out on the water as he calls us to join in his work. And we've talked about that that water where Jesus is out working is oftentimes scary and it's always unpredictable. And so to help us answer those questions, we've been working through seven warning signs. Seven warning signs that would indicate that yes, indeed, our Christianity has become too comfortable. And each of those seven signs has pointed to a particular comfortable danger. It's a danger zone, if you will. And each week we've been digging deeper into each of those threats, those threats to our walk with God. And now we have managed to make our way to warning sign number seven. And our warning sign for today reads like this. Your Christianity has become too comfortable If the amount of money that you give to your church doesn't require you to sacrifice any of your own desires. To put it another way, if the money that you contribute to your church doesn't require you to give up anything in this world, then your Christianity has become too comfortable. So what do I hope to accomplish this morning? Well, my goal this morning is for each of us To loosen our grip. And I'll explain more about that as we go along. I want to start out this morning by giving you an image. And I hope that you'll take this image and hang on to it throughout the rest of the sermon. The image I want you to have is of a young family sitting in one of our pews on a Sunday morning. Mom's there, dad's there, and their three-year-old daughter 
is sitting there next to them, behaving herself, doing a very good job, sitting through a few songs, sitting through a prayer. And as she does that, you can tell that her anticipation is beginning to build because she knows what is coming. And sure enough, she sees her dad reach into his pocket, fumble around and pull out some coins. And she's excited about that. And she reaches out her chubby little hand and her dad deposits three coins in her hand. And she looks at those coins and she says to herself, this is a good day. Not one coin, not two, but three coins. And they're not those little copper coins, they're those big, shiny silver coins. It's a good day. And as she stares at those coins in her hand, she can barely contain her excitement. In her mind, she's rich. But then her mood begins to change. Because she sees those men, you know, those men, those men who come from up here, those men who are carrying their shiny little, uh, their little collection plates with them. She sees them approaching, and she knows what that means. That means she's going to be expected to take her good fortune and put it inside the plate. She knows that's what's expected of her. So her eyes dart from the coins in her hand to the men approaching with their plates and to her dad's face and then back to her coins. And then her jaw sets and she becomes determined. She decides that not this time. No, this time I'm going to hang on. This time I'm not going to let go. This time I'm going to keep those coins that were placed in my hand and her grip begins to tighten. And when the plate is passed down and her dad puts it in front of her, she simply shakes her head, no. And dad shakes his head, yes. And this goes on for an uncomfortable couple of moments until finally dad reaches over and takes her chubby little hand and pries one finger at a time until those coins clank inside the collection tray. And then she looks with disgust as the tray moves on down the line. And she can be described in many ways, but she can't be described as a cheerful giver. Can you picture that? So, so hang on to that image, if you will. Now do something else for me. I want you to consider a possibility. I want you to consider the possibility that when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to the things that have been placed in our hands, our chubby little hands, I want you to consider the possibility that we might just have a whole lot more in common with that three-year-old girl than we would care to admit. We might have more in common with her than we would care to admit. So keep that image in your mind and keep that possibility in your mind as we're going to look at some biblical principles of giving. We're going to do just a, a broad overview of what the Bible says about giving. And when, any place that we're going to start about giving, we're going to start in the Old Testament and we're going to start talking about tithing. So when we talk about tithing, we're talking about Israel. We're talking about the nation of Israel. And there are 12 tribes. And one of those tribes, the tribe of Levi is tasked 
with taking care of the religious life of the nation. God has given them that role. So unlike the other 11 tribes, the tribe of Levi doesn't own any land, and they don't work the land. They don't raise crops. They don't have flocks, and they don't have herds. So they are very dependent on the other 11 tribes for their survival. So God, through Moses, commanded that the other 11 tribes give a tithe, which simply means a tenth, to give a tenth of their crops and a tenth of their flocks and a tenth of their crops and to give those to the tribe of Levi. And the entire tribe of Levi is also commanded to give a tenth of what they receive to the priests. And this is important when we're talking about principles of giving. God was insistent. God was very clear that the tithe wasn't just any tenth. The tithe wasn't to be the leftovers. The tithe wasn't to be the subpar. No, what was to be given was the first fruits. It was to be the very best. It's even described in one place as the very holiest portion. That's the tithe. And the reason why the tithes were to be the first and to be the best was because that portion that was given to Levi wasn't really given to Levi. No, God declared that that was his portion, that the people were giving to him, giving to God. So the rest of Israel isn't tithing to Levi, they're tithing to God. And even though those commands that were given to Israel are not our commands today, we're able to take away some principles from what God asked them to do, what God commanded them to do. We can learn that our giving is to be a significant portion, a significant amount of what we possess. And we can also learn that what we're to give is supposed to be first fruit giving, not leftover giving. And we also learn that what we give is God's portion. And since we're giving to God, we should give our very best. And the fact that the gift that we're giving is going to God should suggest to us that our giving isn't just about the amount we give. And it isn't just about the quality of the gift. Our giving is also, and most importantly, it's about the attitude of the giver, the one who's giving the gift. See, in other words, our giving isn't just about the size or the number of coins that we drop in the plate. It's also about our attitude toward that giving. And when we're going to talk about attitudes, we need to talk about some things that we see in the Bible about attitudes towards giving. I'm going to give you five five. Attitudes, five principles that I see at work in the Bible. I'm going to move through them fairly quickly. I've given you some other um, scriptures to look at. You'll find those on your outline. I encourage you to spend some more time on those during your study time. But here's principle number one, attitude number one. We learn from the Bible that our giving is to be open-handed, not closed fist. So we're to have an attitude of generosity, an attitude of generosity about the things that God has placed in our hands. In among other places, Moses affirms this attitude in Deuteronomy chapter 15. In verse 11, he wrote this. He said, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor 
and toward the needy in your land. So attitude number one is open-handed about our giving. And principle number two, attitude number two is also about openness. Our giving is to be open-handed, but it's also to be open-hearted, not hard-hearted. We're to have a compassionate attitude towards those who haven't had as much placed in their hands. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. He said, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no compassion on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. We're to be open-handed and open-hearted. Have an open-handed attitude because we are open-hearted. Attitude number three concerns a third and different part of our anatomy. Not our hearts and not our hand, but actually our mouth. See, our giving is to be closed-mouthed, not loud-mouthed. We don't give to draw attention to our gift, and we don't give to draw attention to the giver. Jesus memorably illustrated this principle like this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. So if our giving is motivated by open hearts, we won't be motivated to draw attention to our gifts. Which brings us to principle number four. And that is that our giving is to be authentic, not hypocritical. See, not only do we not hypocritically give in order to trumpet our gift to all of those who are around us, we also don't give with one hand while doing evil with the other. That's the hypocritical behavior of the Jewish religious leaders that Jesus was criticizing when he said this in Matthew 23, verse 23. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What he's saying is you should have practiced authentic religion by providing justice and mercy and faithfulness while also tithing. But your tithing doesn't make up for what you were neglecting. See, our giving is to be authentic, not hypocritical. A principle number five about giving, our giving is to be sacrificial. It's not intended to be completely painless. Our giving should come at a personal cost. Our attitude should be that we're willing to give up our own desires to meet the needs of others. 
in the scripture that we read before the sermon, Jesus lets us know that this principle is important to him. Jesus highlights the sacrificial actions of this poor widow, and he contrasts that to the pain-free behavior of her wealthy neighbors. Let's read that again, Matthew 21. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow put in more than all the others. See, all these people put their gifts in out of their wealth, out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put all she had to live on. See, our gifts aren't to simply be out of our abundance. That is leftover giving. That's, I'll take care of all of my own needs first. I'll take care of all my own desires first. And then I'll give God some of what's left if there is any left. It's that kind of giving. Our giving should come at a personal cost. It should be sacrificial And it should be open-handed and open-hearted and closed-mouthed and authentic. That's what our giving should look like. That's what our attitudes should be like. That's what principled giving looks like. But if you're like me, too often I behave more like that closed-fisted three-year-old than like that open-handed, open-hearted, closed-mouth, authentic, and sacrificial widow. Act more like the three-year-old. So let's talk about why that is. Let's talk about why oftentimes we have a very firm grip on the things that God has placed in our hands. And after that, we'll explore some things that can loosen our grip. Loosen our grip without having to have our hands pried open. So what is it that tightens our grip? What makes us work so hard to hang on to those things that God has placed in our hands? Well, I think there are a lot of things that work on us to cause us to grip very tightly on what God has given us. And I think one thing that does that is because there's a direct line from our hearts to our hands. And if our money and if our possessions have captured our hearts, then our grips tighten. Jesus put it this way also from the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, if treasure has captured our heart, if possessions have captured our heart, if money has captured our heart, if the good things that God has given us, if those have taken priority over our God, if the gifts are our master, instead of the giver being our master, then simply and bluntly, we're guilty of idolatry. We're worshiping what we shouldn't be worshiping. We're worshiping our things instead of worshiping our 
Father. And we know something about worship. When we worship something, we don't want to let go of it. We grab hold of it and we hang on to it and our grip tightens. Well, a second thing that tightens our grip is fear. That's why in the sermon, Jesus moves immediately from this warning about serving money to a discussion about fear. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And then Jesus goes on to point out that, that God feeds even the birds. And he even puts clothes on the plants in the fields. He says, so why are you afraid that he won't feed and clothe you? And Jesus concludes by saying, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, fear tightens our grip. If we're afraid that letting go of what God has placed in our hands today, if we're afraid that that means that he won't put something in our hands tomorrow, then our grips tighten with fear. Well, the next three things that we're going to talk about, the next three things that tighten our grips are all very closely related. We see that our grip is tightened by false security. It's tightened by false ownership. And it's tightened by what I'm going to call monument building. And these three grip tighteners are illustrated by an encounter that Jesus had with a young man. And also by a story he told about a rich old fool. Let's talk about the encounter with the young man first. It's from Matthew chapter 19. It begins in verse 16. It's a familiar story, I'm sure, to most of you. A young man approaches Jesus and he asks, what good things must I do to enter heaven? And Jesus replies to him, well, you must obey God's law. You must obey the commandments that were given through Moses. And then the young man affirms the fact that he is obedient. He has been obeying those laws. And then he asks one more question, verse 20. He asks Jesus, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now the story about the rich old fool, this is from Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16. Jesus told this story. He said, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
And this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. And so one encounter and one story about two very different men who had very similar problems. See, they both had a lot placed in their hands. And they both had very tight grips. And they wouldn't let go. Maybe they were afraid to let go. Afraid to let go because they had this false sense of security. They thought that their stuff, their possessions, their money, their grain, they thought that all of those things would secure their futures. So those tight grips were all about security. But it wasn't just about security. It was also because they had this false sense of ownership. See, they looked at their hands, and because those riches were in their hands, they believed that those riches belonged to them instead of belonging to God. They forgot who placed those riches in their hands. And the rich old fool even thought that he could take those things that God had placed in his hands and he could use those to build a monument to himself. He thought that was the wise thing to do instead of being rich toward God. And so he tightened his grip. Tightened his grip until he was no longer able to squeeze. It's false security and false ownership and this desire to build monuments to ourselves. Those things all tighten our grips. And the final thing that I want to note is something that we've already mentioned. Something that definitely tightens our grip and that's a lack of compassion. It's a lack of concern for others. That tightens our grip. So what do we do about it? How do we reverse that? How do we loosen up our tight grips? How do we become more like that widow and less like that three-year-old? Well, the answers simply lie in the flip side of the things that tighten our grips. See, instead of worshiping money, if we will worship God, our grips will be loosened. Because when we engage in worship, when we enter into the presence of God, when we give him the glory and honor that's due his name, it reorients our hearts. It puts God in his rightful place. It identifies him as our treasure. And when we do that, it loosens our grip. And when we place God in his rightful place, it's then that we give him his deserved trust. It's then that we're able to act on his promise to take care of our needs. We're able to loosen our grip today because we know that he will take care of us tomorrow. And when we see that God has taken care of our physical needs, we also recognize that he's faithful to take care of our spiritual and even our eternal needs. We recognize that God... And God alone provides eternal security. And so we loosen our grip on those things that we now realize are just temporary. And not only do we recognize that those things are temporary,
temporary. We also see that our possession of them is just for a moment in time. It's then that we find our true role with our possessions. And it's not as owners. It's as stewards of God's gifts. And we recognize that those are gifts to be shared. And so we loosen our grips. And as we steward God's gifts for the benefit of others, we do build a monument. We do leave a legacy But that monument and legacy that we leave is a spiritual monument, a spiritual legacy. It's not physical. And that monument doesn't point to us. That monument points to our master. It points to God, who's the giver of all good gifts. And when we recognize and when we acknowledge that every good thing we have comes from our God, when we recognize our dependence on our God... That brings humility. And humility softens hearts. Humility brings compassion for those who have empty hands and our grips loosen. Our grips loosen for the benefit of others. But you know, something interesting happens. When we loosen our grips, it brings even greater benefit to us. See, when we loosen our grips on the things that God has placed in our hands, we're making a bold statement. See, when we open our hands and we open our hearts, we're declaring to God and we're declaring to ourselves and we're declaring to the world that our treasure can't be held in a hand. Now, our treasure can only be held in a heart. And so, brothers and sisters, let's loosen our grips. Let's boldly declare our dependence from seeking false security from the things that are destined to fade away. Let's loosen our grips and declare our dependence on God and our dependence on God alone. Let's loosen our grips and make a statement about our loyalty to the giver of all of those good gifts. A statement about our trust in the one who placed those gifts in our hands today and has promised to provide for our tomorrow. And as we loosen our grips, let's declare in worship our appreciation and our praise for the God of creation. God who's made those gifts possible. And as we loosen our grips, let's declare our care, our concern, our compassion for those whose hands are now empty. Let's seek to place God's gifts in their hands so that he will be glorified. Let's loosen our grips. Let's pray. Father, the the instinct is strong to grab everything that we can and to hold on to it as tightly as we can, to seek security in our possessions. And so, Father, our prayer is that you will loosen our grips, that you'll open our hands and open our hearts. Father, open our minds to the reality that true security comes from you and you alone. 
And Father, thank you for being a faithful God. Thank you for being a providing God. Thank you for being a God who keeps his promises. And Father, we look forward to the day that we will be with you for eternity. And pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So let's end with an uncomfortable challenge. This is our 41st uncomfortable challenge, and I'm calling this a statement or a declaration challenge. We challenge you this week to examine your spending habits. Look at your bank accounts. Look at your bank statements. And as you're doing that, we challenge you to identify at least one area where it's obvious that your spending is out of balance then stop or significantly reduce your spending in that area or in those areas. But don't stop there. Then we encourage you, we challenge you to make a statement by loosening your grip and giving that difference to God and to his work. Let's loosen our grips. And let's stand and let's sing as we close out. Stand.